0: Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. I am, as always, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by Todd McGowan. Todd, how are you?
1: Hi, Ryan. I'm very good. How are you doing this morning?
0: I am doing well, in, in the the fading embers of the morning on the East Coast in this podcast, I've had I'm on two teas right now. Okay, Normally, when that's... we do this, I'm I'm in the middle of one, but I'm on two, so I think this is going to be a high energy, okay, uh, okay. A fun fest because we are talking about the preface to Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit, which um, I think is an episode long teased, uh, and. Uh, you know, it's been it's been coming for a while, so I'm happy that we're going to get to talk about this.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and re- also I requested a couple of times, so that is correct. To, Most to-
0: recently, by by, by I'm going to shout out to Jack on uh, SoundCloud. I think I've got that right. Uh, who um, who has because of our podcast has committed to um, reading Hegel, which I think uh, some people you're saying that means that you should be committed. I think, but I think we this is the best. Uh the best thing one can do in the contemporary era, I think, politically. So yeah, um
1: yeah. That's right. So don't worry about going to a protest against Trump, instead pull out the phenomenology and read
0: it. <laughs> well, the That's the, our what political is that you-
1: advice for the for the podcast. I
0: think. You say this to me all the time. Um, uh, well, when you've heard from your children that I've been playing video games, you say that, what, what is it? My, my your life is not infinite. Read Hegel. That...
1: <laughs> I think I even messaged that to you on the video game.
0: You three. did that on PlayStation. Yeah. It's one of the, the most shocking, um, like I, I, I felt like, I felt like, uh, Jimmy Stewart in rear window when, um, the guy across the, that he's been spying on looks finally looks back at him. Great. Uh, that was how I felt when, uh, yeah, when I yeah I'm Thorwald. That that's, that's you are nice. Thorwald. <laughs> yeah, and then and then, <laughs> like, I, but then that puts me in the in his position. Like, what do you want from me, I, right? That's right? You know, that's right. yeah. He
1: yeah. says He's I should read Hegel, but what does he really want? He wants. me well, to keep playing really video want? games. <laughs>
0: he wants me to keep playing it because then otherwise you'd have you'd have no uh, you have no advice for me. Yeah, I, I think.
1: Okay, uh, so so. Obviously, we can't talk about the whole phenomenology, unfortunately, no. in one episode. But so we decided to begin with the preface because that's what Hegel decided to begin with. And I think first we'll give a kind of overview of what the phenomenology is up to. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. phenomenology, the very term suggests a look at experience, which is odd because Hegel is not really, a, in some ways, not a philosopher of experience at all. He thinks experience is not really that important, but he wants to use this book to make to come up with a theory of experience. And mm-hmm. and he wants to examine all of the extant theories of experience that he sees out there, and even some that he invents that he thinks are, are sort of lying unconsciously out there, and in order to come up with w- what his own is. And his own, mm-hmm. what's interesting is that his own is a kind of a amalgamation of all of them, right? That it's not, there's not this one theory, because his point is that it's only through seeing all these different failures of every other theory that we understand that every theory of experience will fail because Mm -hmm. experience is itself contradictory. And I think that's the key. The contradiction is the key Hegelian term, and that's what he's ends up getting to. But you, one of the nice things I think about the preface is that he's trying to point to this, that we only know the truth of the truth of contradiction when we understand the systematic whole. And I think that's a key thing. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: there, and there's, um, a lot of great, I mean, I mean, this is the the whole book does this, but there's a lot of great points in the, in the preface related to this. And one of them I think is that is particularly salient is, is he says, uh, several times that, um, in different ways that like the point of philosophy should not be, let's put competing systems of knowledge against each other and then see who wins or loses. Um, and it's so, like, it's interesting that he's saying this when he's saying it, and this is still an idea, uh, a big idea of, of what philosophy should be. Like, this is, I mean, I, I think... Well, isn't it's it the not, dominant
1: idea today? Even, yeah. Even it, today, I think.
0: It's either Noel Carroll or David Bordwell. They both may say this in post-theory, but they actually... One maybe maybe it's Carroll who says this in his essay that um against in his like invective against psychoanalysis that like what um we what philosophy should be is these is these competing theories and to, to like to decide like uh, sort of like um I mean it, you know, winners and losers and it's kind of hard I'm not quoting him exactly so don't don't write your anti Noel Carroll essay uh, based on my saying that but the way that he does um uh, conceive of of philosophy and the way that like hegel is is writing against is it's it's actually quite capitalistic this idea that that like yeah. that the idea is like it's a, it's a winner or a loser and and that like we that these systems should compete and i think i thought hegel you were going to say
1: darwinistic
0: ah uh, okay so well, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> capitalism go, right?
1: and darwinism, darwinism a little too, too close for comfort but isn't yeah. isn't right like it's a kind of survival of the fittest isn't that the idea It is. And
0: that, but, and you know what, that is actually perfect because I like, I feel like I, I don't know if I've said this on a podcast here. So, but, but I feel like I say this all the time that like people, I think quite often, especially scientists forget the basic and like, uh, radical insight of Darwin, which is that it is accidents that lead to unexpected benefit. And it is through, and this is what causes mutations. And, and in some ways, it, it, like darwin is maybe in that in that you know limited sense saying exactly what hegel is which is that it is through it is through failure that we move forward
1: yeah and, i like that a and, lot i think that's yeah. darwin's greatest insight i i, I agree yeah. i think you're right to to point that out and to to limit my my anti-neo darwinism but uh, <laughs> or to my to, to limit my too quick association of it with the logic of capital but you're right that cow uh, that Carol's thing is completely capitalistic, right? Like yeah, we have a competition, yeah. and the best, may the best the, made the best theory. The best
0: theory win. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: And so yeah. Hegel's totally against that. And so, and I love how you point out that he he he's against laying out his like. You would think he take the preface. This is what I do in my books to lay out the <laughs> argument that I'm going to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't do that. In fact, no. He says he says you you can't. The, the whole point of philosophy is not to take to start with some first principle and then Mm -hmm. try to prove it, which is, Mm -hmm. again, just like you said, goes totally against the way we usually think of how philosophy or theory works. Mm -hmm. Because he thinks the problem with any first principle is that even if it's true, I love this point, that even if it's true, it's also false for the very reason that it's true, right? Like Because, and he thinks it's false because it's just a first principle. And as Mm -hmm. a first principle, it always relies on some other things that it needs to refer to, but Isn't doesn't this, acknowledge. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No.
0: No. 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 I think that's perfect. I think um, you um, you may know this. Well, no, you probably will know this better than me uh, about uh, Derrida. Writes something about the supplement that's very similar. To Correct. That, right. Yeah. 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 Which I think is a, is a really is a really good idea. Is that like the the supplement? It, it we we always think is secondary, but is actually primary because you 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 rely on the the supplement to make sense of the the first
1: thing right absolutely right. Like or it, i mean you could think of it in terms in lacan's terms of the relation between s1 and s2 right like that there's yeah. no like the the first principle would be the s1 and the the, mm-hmm. the master signifier and then it relies on this binary signifier a group of binary signifiers that it never it never avows because it just articulates itself as a first principle, right? And so, I, right, yeah, the, right. the Derrida reference is, is, is totally correct as well. So I think, that's to me, that's one of the main thrusts of the preface, that he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's arguing against the way that you would usually formulate a preface. So it's a, yeah. it's a, There's a way in which it's an anti-preface, and even the beginning line I think is. So in in English, I think most of the English translations have divided this line into two, but it's one sentence. The end of the, the first sentence in the German is. Actually, a preface is wholly inappropriate and pointless in <laughs> philosophy, and so it's, yeah. you're like, you're like, wait a minute, I'm reading <laughs> your book, and you start out with this idea that a preface is pointless and and inappropriate, and yet you you say that in a preface. And so that yeah. leads, to, you mentioned Derrida, that leads him in Dissemination, yeah. mm-hmm. which is not my favorite Derrida book, but I think this opening discussion of Hegel has its its interest. It's the first, I think. So in Dissemination is a very famous, like 200-page discussion of Plato's Pharmacon. Mm-hmm. But before that is the discussion of the preface and Hegel, and exactly this point, that, that Hegel says, you can't uh, preface is inappropriate in philosophy, and yet he writes one anyway. Right. And for right. Derrida, and, uh, that's a sign that philosophy deconstructs itself. Right. But yeah. But isn't but, isn't Hegel's idea that here that I'm going to I like the way you've put this to me before, but I'm going to put it a certain way, and then I want you to articulate yeah, this. Yeah. But that yeah, that, sure, sure. that a certain thing is impossible, but the impossible happens. Like that—that's the pull. Yeah, that, yeah. In some way, that's one of the whole points of his philosophy, and why you said, or maybe I said this, that the key political act is reading Hegel because it's about how can the impossible happen. Yeah, and so that's yeah. Yeah, but you 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 put it you put it in a slightly different way. You want
0: to? Oh yeah, which is that? Well, you. I mean, I so this. I mean, I think this is perfectly in keeping with. The, the logic of, of Hegel and the logic of the preface is that it would be, it'd be easy to hear that and then be like, okay, so we have to disregard Derrida now because he, he's reading the, the preface wrongly. And that would be an anti-Hegelian point because All the right. point is is that what Derrida sees clearly is that the preface is impossible. So he see, So we you, we need to keep that that right. the preface is is impossible. It is exactly as Hegel said. It's, it's, so Hegel says it's unnecessary, and Derrida goes further to say it's impossible, which is great because what Hegel does is he then makes the impossible happen with the preface. Right. And so that's the. So if if you are able to think those two things at once, you are thinking contradiction. And if you are thinking contradiction, then you have made the most important movement to understanding not just the preface but the whole of the phenomenon the whole
1: phenomenology yeah i think that's yeah. absolutely right i mean which i think what's interesting is and I, I think this would maybe lead us too far afield but i think the idea of thinking contradiction cannot be just uh, immediately acceding to trumpism <laughs> like, right, you know, like, right, right 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 i'm against the war in iraq i'm for the war in iraq that's right. you know <laughs> like well so
0: yeah, no but, no this is important that you brought this up because i i've um i I've done this in my classes where I've, I've talked a lot about contradiction and I've tried to make this split. And I think that this is useful to separate contradiction from hypocrisy. Oh, interesting.
1: I, that's not what I would have said, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, Well, just like, like the, like there is, um, there is something with, you know, with Trump, our constant theoretical example, (laughs) um, there it's, it's, um, it isn't, contradictory um it's certainly not in the Hegelian sense where we were talking about something that is productive for knowledge um which I think like that's a uh, I mean would you say that's like a pretty good basic definition of like contradiction for, for Hegel it's absolutely is, yeah okay that which is productive for knowledge what
1: well what, also that, know, that well I think it isn't contradiction the point isn't it that which makes knowledge possible by yeah by not by violating or undermining any self-identity I mean, that's what yeah. the contradiction is, the failure of self-identity. And that that's why we can know anything. Yeah. Because yeah.
0: not because things look different,
1: <laughs> you know, you because don't, they're like, divided like to, against themselves. And so yeah. that's why Doesn't we can know that example something about
0: them, about like a book, the two books that are the same. But like, I know that like, you know. Like, I don't think that your your copy of, of The Phenomenology is the same as my copy of The Phenomenology. Right. Like that, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so with... So right, that, that
1: Right, right, right. That's a perfect example, right? Like, clearly they are the same book, and yet they're not the same book. And so what's right. interesting is that an analytic philosopher like Bertrand Russell would say, well, you're just not understanding the mm-hmm. difference between uh, statements of, of identification and statements of predication. And I think that's... The problem is that that he wants to make these clear divides between things, and Hegel's like, well, mm-hmm. no, actually, those two things kind of blend together. Yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. a that's a that's a larger probably a whole episode on predication and identification. That would be
0: really no, that would be really interesting. Yeah. But I think this goes to show that like everything that we just talked about, there's no hypocrisy in there. Like interesting. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so with with Trump saying that, you know, like. Um, well I mean, anything right like so he's like okay so the uh, advancing like some like environmentally destructive policies l- l- that's just what this administration does um for his golf courses in scotland uh he has asked for uh, money from the government to help protect his go- uh, uh, golf courses against the effects of climate change yeah right So that's so you could say, well that's contradictory. No 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 no. It's what it is is hypocritical because it's tendentious. It's there's not even like it's not an even an accident, right? Like it's not even the the Hegelian failure to understand. It's like, oh well Trump just doesn't get it. It's no, it's he gets it like you can see clearly that he gets it perfectly like it, like he understands that like w- whether i i don't think that he understands climate science but he gets that there is a force that is changing things and yeah. it is at least changing the, his golf courses uh to the point that they need to be protected against against that force um and so for him to say the one thing and then ask for uh, a benefit on the other side it's, hypocrisy. it's not it's hypocrisy right because it's uh, it's actually, it's directed and it is intentional. Yeah. So what we're looking at with Hegel, I think is like the, like the earnest, uh, uh, earnest failure. Maybe. Yeah. yeah no, maybe I, one way
1: Ryan, it. Yeah. you know, you, you're, you're so much better at putting, like my way of, <laughs> I really like that. So my way of putting it is this, that mm-hmm. Hegel accepts the principle of non-contradiction, but if you accept the principle of non-contradiction, you end up if you follow, if you accept it faithfully and follow it out, you end up mm-hmm. with contradiction. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I mean, that's which is a much less uh, <laughs> appealing way to articulate what you just articulated. <laughs> but, but I think that's true. So I don't think Hegel is licensing us to just mm-hmm. wantonly contradict ourselves. Instead, right. I think he's saying no, you have to obey the principle of non-contradiction. But when you do that, you will find that you end up in contradictions. Like that's, I mm-hmm. mean, and, and, yeah. but you only find that at the end which is why i think his whole point is that beginnings are misleading because beginnings mm-hmm. you're just making some claim and it's only when you follow out the claim to the end that you see that what that what the truth of the claim is the fact that it undermines itself that it's contradictory it's right? interesting yeah. like
0: I, I you know like i hadn't thought about this before before this conversation but i mean a word that's not um I I mean, actually, I don't know if this is true or not, but like, it, certainly not in the way that I'm going to mean it. But like, you, the word sincerity is not, uh, maybe not anywhere in the phenomenology, but like, I think that is operative in the pursuit of truth itself, and no, like that's I, how I think that that's how you have to read this. Poem. I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely yeah. agree with
1: that. I think he Hegel is above all a sincere thinker. Like, there's never he's funny. Yeah, but it, the, even the comedy is sincere. I think. So yeah, that's, yeah. I, I really like that a lot. I think that's really oh, I good. Think, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that that I actually think that it's, you know, I, I think we we're gonna probably have to do an episode on um on on cynicism because it's come up uh, in several recent episodes yeah. and, and conversations, and it is it is a con- a concern of uh, of mine in a lot of a lot of different areas, um, media uh, especially, uh, narrative media even. But I think that. It's quite easy to look to the past and to if you identify the thinkers of sincerity, it is it's very easy to uh, to say that they were uh, charlatans or idiots or didn't right. know what they right. were doing. And yeah. I, we were kind of talking before this conversation about like if you cut out the part of Freud where he's a clinician and he is earnestly, sincerely invested in like helping people and taking care of them. If you cut that out of understanding Freud, then he's like, it's very easy to make him a monster who used people to advance, uh, a philosophy for and practice for which he made money off. Like it's very, very easy to do that. And then you don't have to think about, well, you don't have to think about anything that contradicts that view, right? Like it's, it's, it's a very, it's a unary way of, of understanding Freud. It's like, uh, likewise, I mean, I don't think it's as, um, malicious with Hegel but like if you cut out this like um because it is clear that like when other people say phenomenology they don't mean what Hegel does. No, like no absolutely They are not. right right
1: right yeah. right. I think that there maybe the, we should make that clear that that the phenomenology that starts with Husserl and then goes through Heidegger uh, Merleau-Ponty and Sartre is, is 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 I think it's almost fair to say it's an anti-Hegelian phenomenology because yeah. it privileges the beginning like its whole point yeah. is Husserl's whole point is Let's cut. He has does a thing called the phenomenological reduction, and it's about okay. cutting away all the theoretical stuff that's been that's been uh, put on top of the original experience, and getting back mm-hmm. to the structure of that original experience. And Hegel would just think, like, well, that's exactly the wrong way to understand experience. That 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 mm-hmm. expe- like all that all that all that mediation added mm-hmm. to experience. That is experience. It's not like Mm -hmm. that's somehow Mm -hmm. this foreign thing imposed on it. It'd be like saying, Oh, I want to get back to who I was before I had my name. (laughs) Like, like, what is that? What is that? I was just I was a zero. I was a nothing. Like the name was not only, sure, it like it created the fundamental miss, it created a fiction about me. Yeah. But that fiction enabled me to then have an experience and then have a subjectivity. So I think that's, yeah. to me, that's, so I think it's, there's an absolute opposition even, a totally irreconcilable opposition between phenomenology as it's currently practiced and understood since Husserl and mm-hmm. Hegel's phenomenology of spirit. So I, think, but the, so I think that's a real potential site of, of misunderstanding that, that you have to really avoid.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's clear this is like, I think uh, going further than that, it's clear that, um, the anti-Hegelian stance on that won out oh. in terms of, of philosophy. And I think that like we could credit this in some ways with, um, the, uh, downfall of the popularity of continental philosophy in uh, particularly America, where the analytic is kind of the only one or, or, uh, uh, um, what is it? Philosophy that is, um, like Stephen Pinker masquerading as a, right. as a, like a philosopher, like that kind of philosophy is like that. That's appropriate here because it's, it's analytic in some way. And I think you could, I think you can almost tie it back completely to this, um, preference for seeing an original. I, and what you were seeing, what you were saying, I was thinking about, um, Baudrillard and the, the Gulf War did, uh, did not happen. Is that what the title is? Yeah. Gulf War did Gulf not
1: f- take, Gulf War did not happen. Yeah. The
0: Gulf War did not happen, okay. Which in his argument is that because the Gulf War was televised and it, it in, in prime time in America, it became uh, an event. It was a fictional event, right. and what we lost was that an actual war happened. And so there's parts of that. I, maybe we've talked about this before, but there are parts of that claim that I think are are great. Like it, it like yes, like you can, like perhaps putting it on t- television it makes it seem like a movie of the week and right. it, it's not that like people are, are dying. Like, I, I think that that, that's a, a a good point, but there's not an, there's not an original Gulf war that we can access either with out media technology or like with it, but if it was purposed in some other way. Right. Uh, and that's, and I think that, I don't know. I, I mean, I do think that, like, there, there's probably a paper or a book to be written about, like, the, like, I mean, I, I do kind of think 1996 is the moment where continental philosophy is kicked out of America. And I think for for two reasons. I think because of Post Theory, um, Bordwell and Carroll's book, yeah. and I think because of the um, hoax article by... Anne oh, Sokol. yeah, the Sokol article. Yeah, yeah. Um, which it, people have done recently. Uh, also, they've uh, revised this to attack... Um, uh, the so-called soft sciences and um, uh, the sociology and, right. and things like right. that. So, so I, I think that. So, can the, you can you yeah, just okay.
1: explain for me the the relationship between why you think the privileging of the beginning, which Hegel attacks in the preface, right? Like that's yeah. I, in, in fact, I would say the first quarter of the preface is about attacking this idea that the beginning is something and that the beginning is is. is is an origin that has mm-hmm. that has the utmost value. In fact, but he wants to say the beginning only has a value when we get to the end. So that the, the yeah. point is to think through the whole and not think through just a first principle. He said like his whole point is philosophy has no first principles, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do you see the abandonment of that by, let's say by phenomenology, but also by sure. empiricism, by other things? Um, yeah. How do you see that as linked to the decline of continental philosophy in the united states and 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 Britain more and more largely? yeah
0: yeah, yeah, no, it's a big question. It's the one that needs to be asked because of the the claim that I made and I think for me, okay um where where I see this um operative and 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 why I think it's such a big deal is that it's so. To talk to like this point of that there is not an original, I think it is so primary um, that it really it pulls apart it pulls apart Baudrillard, it pulls apart Leotard, it pulls apart yes. Sartre, you know, like in and, and these it pull I and I think um Derrida in not in like not uh like again not properly understanding hegel but also understanding him completely right that sort of like contradictory thing yeah. we out- outlined earlier like not getting this like impossibility i think that it's very clear to like I almost think it's 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 such an obvious point that 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 it defeats whatever these people would go on to say afterwards. And if this is the popular vanguard of continental philosophy, then it seems like nobody that they're just saying nonsense. Like you've I, created yeah. a situation, yeah. you you've invented a situation for which there is an original for which you have not proven it, and you can't prove it. Um, but that is the basis for your entire thought, and so then. If, if this is how, if this is now how we're thinking, if this is now the quote identity of of popular like continental philosophy, like the major figures uh, that that yeah. made it to America, then I just think it seems so easy to hand wave it as just just in the same way that it's easy to handwave, um, you, you know, Derrida's uh, dismissal of Hegel's preface. Yeah, by, that's like, interesting. That's interesting because
1: what I I would just say it's it, I think that's great, and and I totally agree with it. But it seems to me that Derrida is slightly Different than that because he, I think he's very much a thinker in that phenomenological tradition that you noted, yeah. but his whole point is that there's no original experience, and so right. But but I think the, the, the irony is that 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 Derrida is I think the main figure that occasioned this dismissal of of continental philosophy, and mm-hmm. it's because he's it's almost like his he's so invested in the original. That yeah. when he finds it missing, then all of a sudden everything collapses. So I think I, I think that it ends up being for that. Then I think Derrida is the person that for whom the opponents of continental philosophy say you can just say everything, or mm-hmm. you're not really yeah. you don't have a it's true you don't have a point you know there's no ultimate point to what you're saying, and I think. It's because he's the implicit target
0: of the sokol article uh, uh, too. Uh, like I,
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i agree yeah. and i i would defend derrida against some of that but i do think for sure i do think there is a problem in him that 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 he that this 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 feeling that once the origin is lost then you can't make any that that's the end of any any ability to make f- fundamental claims right like <laughs> i think that that and and I think the difference between Hegel and Derrida is pretty interesting on this, that, that Hegel thinks the origin is lost or the origin is n- meaningless, it's insignificant, mm-hmm. actually allows us to philosophize and allows yeah. us to make claims. So it's the yeah. opposite yeah. view, I think, mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. that, that Hegel views it dialectically, whereas Derrida views it in a kind of dualistic way, like either yeah. you're on the side of the origin or you're on the side of the trace or the supp- the term used yeah. earlier supplement and yeah. i think hegel's point is no 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 the the actual loss of the the insignificance of the origin is what makes our that that's what allows us to say things that are true precisely mm-hmm. because we can think about the system as a whole and not get stuck in just these competing claims about first principles. Like I, this is my philosophy. This is what Deleuze says. This is what Hegel says. They're fighting each other out and, and that's all we're stuck. We just have to decide.
0: Right. And this, and this is exactly the logic. Um, and to, to pull it back, uh, to specifically the preface, um, this is right from like the first pages, um, Hegel is telling you that his is a, a theory of the universal. And we've talked about this on the podcast before it, Hegel's universality is, uh, Oh, I, I think in some ways like v- difficult to, to think today, unless one, uh, reads Hegel. Like, I, I think like it's, it's not one of these ideas that is in culture and you can get to it from other sources. Yeah, Absolutely not. Um, in fact, there's
1: it, a kind of prejudice. There's not, there's a total prejudice against it in culture.
0: Right, right. So, and the universal the universal, and and this is, this is the, the importance of the point is because as Todd is pointing out, like, you know you you can't have the binaristic thing where it's like this is Hegel's position this is Derrida's position this is blah blah blah, blah. like if you think about it this way what you're doing is you're you're locked into the logic of the of the particular and then you're having things competing and there isn't uh, knowledge is not being created it's it's actually uh well i mean what what, what would you say that like a uh, um, a status quo is really being ratified yeah, yeah. And rather than like a like a beyond uh, get b- being uh, moved toward so what what Hegel um imagines the, the universal as, and it's very powerful as we talked about is the particular that changes all particulars. Yeah. That is the, the, the universal and that is central to the preface and it's central to his, you know, philosophy writ large. And, um, this is also what changes his phenomenology from, from others because it's, it is the, um, I don't think that there is even in actually, I I mean, I think this is true that in Sartre there is a flight from that understanding of the universal, um, uh, as well.
1: Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I yeah, that would take a whole. We'd have to do a whole <laughs> <We don't laughs> discussion of Sartre, <laughs> but um, because I think he's not, I think he's complex about universality. But I think okay. you're right. There's some way in which that's that's true, just because of the way that existentialism works for him. Mm-hmm. But I do think I I mean I. I th- what's interesting is the way that universality links up to this claim. It's in section twenty of the of the mm-hmm. preface. So the section numbers were added by the English translators, but then um, mm. they've kept them. So they all the translate. We'll talk about maybe translations at the end because that's a yeah yeah that's an interesting issue, but not central. Um, so he says uh, Dasvara is Dasganza. The the true the true is the whole. Right. This mm-hmm. is a very famous claim from from section twenty of the preface and. I think it's related to exactly what you're saying about universality, right? Like it's only through thinking the whole that we're able to understand how the universal plays out in every single position that we take. Every single particular thing we know or interact with is affected Mm -hmm. by universality. And we can't just, there are no, there's no little isolated points. We can't just enter into a little isolated realm where we're free from the universal, that universal mm. and and it's it's only by thinking the whole that we understand that. So mm. That's why he says the whole, the true is the whole. I love that idea. The true is the whole, and mm. I, I. What's interesting is a, a lot of people have hated Hegel for that. In fact, Theodore Adorno in *Minima Moralia* says the whole is the false. Clearly, a mm. like he, he's not exactly reversing it, but right. like trying to undermine it in a kind of in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, like in that that. Um, and, and not to, um, I'm not trying to, to paint all, all the philosophers with whom, uh, like I, I see an issue with like, mm-hmm. I don't want to paint them all with the same brush, but you can kind of see, I think in that, in that statement is, um, well, not, not kind of, you act, you actually see it is that it is the, the, the fear of the large claim. And I think that, um, James, James has said something like this. I feel like I reference his intro to, um, uh, starts critique of dialectical reason like yeah. all the time because I think it's very good. But one of the things he, um, or maybe I'm crediting him with something that somebody else said, but that we, we're not in the era anymore where the philosophers are checking the scientists and, and like, like it's, it, this has sort of been rejected. Yeah. Um, uh, as, as in like the, I've definitely said this before. The only way that you can make a comment, like a, a certain comment about the economy is if you are an economist. Right. That's, I think like this is a general, Principle that pe- that people accept today, I think it's, it's it's definitely part of ideology, and you can kind of in that statement of Adorno's is that the, the whole, the whole is the, the false is that like you have this movement away from the, the big claim from the, which is not the same as universal, but like. No, I think
1: it's related. It's a, it's a family resemblance for sure. Family
0: resemblance. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So like this move away from, from universality to say like, like to look at more local, to look at the particular, to look at parts. It has the, like it has the whiff of being more academic and more responsible. Like I think case by case basis, right? Like yeah. ab- people say that on either side of the political spectrum and they think that they are advancing something that, right. it, it, you know, is more thoughtful. But it, it's kind of not. Like it, 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 you, it's a – I mean one thing you could say, right? Well, I think it's one? a retreat. I a would fort- even go
1: as far as to say it's a retreat from thought because thought oh, is – Thought is, according to Hegel, and I think he's right about this, thought is precisely seeing the role that the universal is. Otherwise, like if you're just talking about... Like if I if I say, listen, isn't this why... What is the worst thing that you want to hear when someone comes up to talk to you? I had this dream last night. <laughs> right, and they're right going to recount their little dream. You're like, oh my God, yeah. please yeah. let it be less than 30 seconds. I'm really going <laughs> to... Otherwise, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. I mean, yeah. so because why? Because... They're they're in they're giving you just their own little private language, right? Yeah. It's completely. Yeah. I mean, it's not really particular. And if they interpreted it, it might be interesting. If it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I had this dream last night. I slept with my mother, and I don't know. It means I really actually want to sleep with my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't know that. I thought I just want to sleep with my mother. But but um, but I. But most of the time, of course, they don't do that. They just said, oh, I went to this building, and it was you know. Yes. Like it like, was a movie that they were in. Yeah, uh, exactly, uh, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so because, but it's uninteresting and it's not thoughtful and it's it and it's it and it's a it's a slight to thought, and I think mm-hmm. that's what these little case by case bases that you're talking about are. You know, yeah, this guy Clifford Geertz wrote a little uh, thing called local knowledge, and I feel like mm-hmm. that idea is so pernicious and i yeah, but i think yeah. that is the very thing that is privileged today like local yep. knowledge let's hear what the particulars want to say you know like i was just reading something about this guy kevin hart who got did he get fired oh, yeah. or did he withdraw as the oscar i don't know which but,
0: i'm not sure but he's not doing it anyway, but for some but
1: yeah. rightfully it's like some homophobic things that he he didn't mm-hmm. just say like he really thinks them so okay whatever mm-hmm. um i do think it's interesting that you can get fired for that. But if you have a car elevator in your garage, you don't get fired for that. Again, I think that's maybe a problem, but, but be that as may, I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally against him making those, the homophobic jokes. Mm-hmm. But, but I think it's interesting that someone said okay. about uh, Kevin Hart that mm-hmm. their response was, what I really hate in all this conversation about him is that we're not talking about the actual victims of his homophobic slurs, Mm -hmm. the gay people themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, so what they're saying is we should be talking more about those particular people and not Mm -hmm. about this larger universal problem, right? Right, of homophobia. Of homophobia. So, so, yeah, homophobia
0: being the the universal in that and then the particular, yeah. Right, but there's
1: two problems with that. First of all, Mm -hmm. the person writing the article wasn't talking about actual (laughs) lives of gay people that were talking, right? They were doing the very thing that they attacked all these other people for doing. The mm-hmm. second thing was like the lives of those people would be better if we eliminated homophobia like like right, talking right, right. about how bad it is for some how 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 hard it is for someone to be gay it's hard yes mm-hmm. but that's not going to help make that life better what's going to help make that life better is that we Eliminate homophobia in the culture, right? So, that, right? So, right. So,
0: so, so taking so someone taking down, I mean, yeah, taking down or, or moving away from the public eye, someone like Kevin Hart showing that there are like consequences for being, you know, uh, uh homophobic, like that does more good than to like have this like local conversations about, um, you know. Uh, the queer lives affected by like this person's comments you lose. What is like, what's something I was going to say, uh, like probably the, what was it, the the, mo- the most um, common sense way of putting it is like, you're losing the forest for the trees, yes, right? Like yeah, that kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or I heard another, I heard another way someone putting it like um, the, like the, like the, the wood, like <laughs> you should see the, the, the wood for the forest, which I like even better. <laughs> I do um, like that
1: better. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I think that that's, I mean, that's, seems to me that that's crucial to Hegel's whole philosophical project. And I think you're so right that it cuts against everything that we're, that we think today that gets privileged today. So I, I yeah. so I think that's mm-hmm. the one thing that strikes me on rereading the preface for the umpteenth time that, that there are so many points at which he's cutting against what were, what, what is just the prevailing doxa. the dominant way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. The doxa is yeah. a great, that's yeah.
0: a, that's a really important yeah. word. Um, you know, it's kind of funny that people use the word. This is a total aside, but it's relevant because of the word "geist." But don't people use "doxa" and "Zeitgeist" like interchangeably today? I feel like. Yeah, feel that's like an interesting
1: it. point because. Yeah. Hegel would say they're totally opposed. Actually. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, "geist" is an interesting word. But maybe we should get to the, like the words and the translations and stuff at the end, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise we'll get
0: yeah, lost. Yeah. But no.
1: But I was, I was, I was, um, I, 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 so I think that I, I guess we've talked about the whole enough, but I wanted to get to this other thing that, so we, so he he emphasizes the whole, and then there's this really famous passage where he talks about the faculty of the understanding and the way that it Mm -hmm. introduces division and, and, and death into the world. And then this is where he, this is, this is the passage that ends with that famous line that Slavoy uses as the title for his book that life of the mm-hmm. spirit depends on its tearing with the negative mm-hmm. and what's interesting is that one of the new translations has changed that to lingering with the negative, mm. which doesn't quite have the same you know
0: no I don't don't i mean this is totally set, uh, aside yeah. about this conversation, but I think that there are I think we've talked about this with Proust too that like that they're Are just canonical. I mean, this is the kind of the whole point with Hegel, isn't it? Like there are just ways of translating or like or or or, um, like phrases that have become canonical and 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 well known and like almost like more important than where it comes from I totally like agree with that that you should just as a translator you just gotta suck it put up put it put put a note put it in brackets next you know like you know that then that, yeah. you just have to say this is more important than getting it literally right it's right. more important to, to say to call it remembrance of things past right instead of, the name of the book of is of
1: remembrance them. of things past not search of lost time. Right? right like right. like who cares what the correct
0: <laughs> in fact it's yeah. more interesting yeah. to have them both isn't it yeah.
1: yeah and
0: that's hegel's point like it's more interesting to like so that now in search of lost time has like we've gotten rid of remembrance of things past right but like hegel's point would be like no both of them like th- that that like in search of lost time it's more is more literal remembrance of things past it's actually like describing what uh, Marcel right. like is literally doing in the book and you if you have them both couldn't you make from the, the claim, title alone you right understand right the book yeah. can
1: you make the claim that the English wrong title is maybe a better title than the, than the French <laughs> because original? it's more evocative yeah. right like it's more yeah.
0: about the the and i mean i think this is always the choice right is that like i mean this is the thing is that it it seems to be and i don't know enough about translation uh, the, the i'm not a an expert in it right but the jameson's comment about expertise yeah. um to necessarily make this point but it does it does seem to me with like major translations of uh, of other things that occurred um oh i don't know maybe like from the 40s to the 70s that are now getting like a like a retranslation now is the movement is always toward making it more literal and yes. not making it yes. more figurative. And yes. it seems to me that the older understanding was to like, okay, we can fudge what the literal meaning is because if we make it more figurative in the language we're translating it into, like that's doing a, a more of a service to the work. And I think that especially in, I don't know, poetry, like yeah. that always seems to be the thing is that like you, you're caught between the like, well, what is it, what does it literally say translated to English or like, or what would be the better and more effective? What's the like, geist? What's the, spirit What's the geist of it? Yeah. exactly? Yeah, that's that yeah. seems to be the yeah. the thing for translators. Yeah. Uh, so I don't envy the task, but it does seem to be that like the the room that's left for translators today is more literal and yeah. maybe. No, I it's. Know,
1: I think I it's know. absolutely correct, and I think it's a sad. Yeah. It's a sad thing, but it's. A, don't you think it's interestingly related to the discussion of the preface because, <laughs> because, isn't there in a way that's a betrayal. Of universality that the, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Hegel's whole point would be just like you were saying that the, the, the mistranslation that gets at something missing in the original title yeah. is yeah. actually, that's where you find universality. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not in, oh, there's one, there's one thing that's all the same in every language. No, no, it's, right. it's the point is that it's the very, it's the very mistake in translation that then reveals something that the, that was obscure in the original. Like that's where right. universality lies.
0: Yeah, no, that's really, really well put. And it's even, I saw this to uh, you when we were talking before that the, uh, before the show that this, this is my experience with the the book. And I actually think that, that what Hegel um, in not just uh, laying out his, uh, theoretical edifice like i I think hegel provides readers with like a skeleton key for like how to read him i i you probably know this but didn't he say he said something like in his lifetime only one person has understood me and even he wrongly i swear that i've read that somewhere
1: supposedly supposedly that's the his his final words so so it's the seriously it's it's recorded by heinrich heine in a book he (laughs) says hegel's final words were only one man understood me and even he didn't understand me <laughs> that's so
0: great so like so and that's so awesome I, I want that to be true i want that to be so true like um like voltaire you know you know the story on his deathbed no no. oh my god it's wonderful which is that his final words when he was being given last rites by a priest and the priest said uh to, you know uh, in the catholic uh, uh service he said like do you reject satan and all of his uh you know, his, Dominion works, yeah. and it's, yeah, his works and Voltaire apparently said, uh, this is come now. This is not the time for making enemies. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clever that it I want that funny. to be true. Yeah. I want that so badly yeah. to be true. So, yeah. so I, I will accept that it is the same with, with Hegel. So, but yeah. anyway, what, what he, what he's laid out is that the first time that I tried reading this book, um, was seven years ago when I, maybe even more, when I was at UVM, I was with you and uh, and uh, working on my my thesis. The next time I tried to read the and it just what made no, it was very, very hard for me. Yeah. I understood some large concepts because I thought that uh, Zizek had gotten to them a little bit more clearly for me in like Sublime Object. Yeah, no, that's in, true.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: in, in other yeah. texts. Yeah, so I went with that. I went with his yeah. understanding because it was hard for me. Yeah. Uh, two years later, I thought that was a, well, I took the easy road, so I should go, I should actually read the source and uh, and 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 make sense of it for myself. And that's what I should do. And it was a little bit easier. I got some things. I was circling where he was talking about retroactivity, which we talked about a little bit, and universality, like a little bit. But I have all these notes, and I maybe read half of the book before being like, "I can't, this is too much. I can't yeah. really do it." And so this morning, in preparation for our podcast, I sat down with my tea to to read it and like, it f- felt like everything made sense. Like yeah. not every se- Like I was reading, I was like, that sentence makes sense. I get that sentence. That one. Okay, that's a little hard. I but I I have I have some idea. I'm gonna carry into the next section. And that was you know I read read through twenty pages like this and. The first and the second times I read this, I had this uh, this feeling, this impulse that, like, I got to get everything right and perfect the first time. I got to underline all the things that seem important. Yeah. I got to carry everything to the next section. I got to have this, like, perfect reading of it. And if I have this perfect reading mm-hmm. of it, I will get it and it will be over. And there's just no way to enjoy reading anything that way, but especially Hegel. And what he's laid out is to say, for for him to say that, like, it is, you know, it is through the, through the false. I mean, he didn't say it like this, but it's through the false that we can come to the true or like, you know, like through. No, he does say that. He he says, he he says
1: truth is not like a minted coin that you can just, you know, take up and and have right away. It's that you through, it's through the false that you come to the true. And the false is not like some shaft that you get rid of after you've arrived at the true, but it's, you hold on to it.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So that's, so he's telling you. So he's not just laying out his his philosophy. He's also, I mean, whether he's conscious of it or not, he's laying out the way to read him. Absolutely. Which is to read him wrong. Read him wrong first. Yeah. You know, to, to plow through, and what are the ideas that you get, and then like be be like me, put it away for five years, and come back to it, and uh, you'll. You'll you'll read things you'll read things differently, and you'll right. and not only will you read things differently, but you'll actually be reading through the process that he uh, prescribes as being essential to uh, truth as as an operation, and that I mean that's it that that truth is this process. So like in basically the, the my whole point here is that like in the process of reading Hegel, like you you can actually be performative of the point that he's making. And the, the the key to his in, entire philosophy, like if you get, if you get nothing else, but you understand that, like coming back to it and understanding it diff- differently, like you're doing what he says is the operation of truth, then like you, I think you've understood him very, very
1: well. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's a beautiful point. And I think that the idea that he, his philosophy is itself telling you how to read his philosophy is, I've never yeah. heard anyone say that, but I really, really, really like that. And I do think like the first time I read Hegel I was in graduate school and I, I basically was just turning the pages, you know, I was just, yeah, yeah. but I finished, you know, I was like, and I have underlined a couple of lines, but then the next time I read it, I was like, wow, that's not so bad. I can kind of get, to- <laughs> so I think you have to have that yeah. double thing. And it, I mean, it, as you say, that's essential to Hegel's whole philosophy that it's, Everything is about the retroactivity of getting to the end and then going back and looking at this senseless, seemingly senseless beginning, and then mm-hmm. giving it some subsequent sense, right? Like so, I think that that's yeah. this notion in Freud of an octoglycite, which we've talked yeah. about, I think a lot, is mm-hmm. related to he- that idea of retroactivity in Hegel, which is centrally the idea that the true is the whole, right? That you only can get mm-hmm. to the true when you get to the to the when you get to the whole system. And then that allows you to look backwards and see the way in which the part that seemed to not make sense actually does make sense. If you think about it within right. the whole, and, yeah.
0: And that's, and that, that is, um and that's contradiction, right? Yeah, like absolutely. In absolutely. Fact, absolutely. In fact, yeah. in fact, what you're yeah. doing is you, you are in some ways you're contradicting the earlier prior experience, right. absolutely. No, which is beautiful. Yes. And in, in another way, like this is, and this is his point that experience is the experience of contradiction. Right. So, in that again in that like experience of reading Hegel like like you are like unfurling for you is the the logic that he's proposing
1: like, right, c- right completely which is so the which which means in order to have that experience you have to o- be open to a, what he calls absolute negative or radical or absolute negativity right like that's mm-hmm. the thing mm-hmm. so you have to have you have to be ready like you couldn't like if you had read if you started out reading Hegel or you or I did, did and and mm-hmm. we we got a we got a firm idea this is what it this is what he means and then we mm-hmm. clung yeah. to that yes then we would not be able to really understand so you have to you have to be able to undergo this experience of having everything that you think about yourself radically torn asunder yeah. you know like I, I so there's this this line this is right before the tearing with the negative line where he says mm-hmm. and so i'm going to quote the the JB Bailey translation of eighteen seventy-two. Oh, okay. So this is a okay. because I think it's the best. I mean, I could do the German, but I just want to. But that will mean nothing to some people listening. So he says, and and I'll maybe I'll read the other translation too. But he says the life of the spirit mm-hmm. wins to its truth only when it finds itself utterly torn asunder. And so the mm-hmm. German word for torn asunder is "zerissenheit." And what's interesting okay. is the the way other translators have dealt with that is to just is to say like. You know, uh, let me see here. I'll try to find it. Uh, oh, here we go. So, um, life of the spirit wins to its truth only when in utter dismemberment it finds huh. itself. Now, I find that, that's the Miller translation. I find uh, that just not, mm. like, to me, utterly torn it's off, asunder. It's, it's hmm? off putting. Yeah, it's off putting. Miller translation, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah. the the new Pinkered one is not is no better, so it's interesting mm-hmm. how the this old and by the way Bailey titles the book uh, Phenomenology of Mind. Wow. So that's a huge problem. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But um, but even but he gets but he gets the torn asunder. he yeah, gets that he right. Gets that right. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating, and I I think you know um the the point a point that you made uh like a, a minute ago I also want to bring back to um my earlier comments about the um the disappearance of continental philosophy and yeah, uh, yeah, particularly yeah. Like America and Britain is that I think that, um, if you look at the, I mean, I think Zizek is, is in this as well. I mean, if you look at any of the comments that, um, uh, Oh, who is the guy? Well, I, I this is so funny that I'm, I'm forgetting this person's name and I'm, I'm going to talk about Lacan and Zizek who, who the, uh, who wrote the, um, uh, the, the, Manufacturing consent, the big intellectual...
1: Noam Chomsky, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Whose name whose name I, I repressed. You for totally repressed it. That was good. totally <laughs> repressed it. So if you read anything Chomsky had to say, like uh, if he what he says about Zizek or he says about Lacan, it's like that they're that these people are charlatans yes. and they're that they're that they're performing something that they're just trying. They're just try Basically, this idea is that they're just trying to get away with something, right? Like that and that, which again is like one of the kind of popular ways of, of reading or not maybe not reading because I don't think people who um, dislike Freud actually read him and I will say this I, I, I uh, maybe I'll say this every time until people start saying this generally Foucault never cites Freud any single time he writes uh, something anti-Freudian there's never a reference to something he said it's just a reference to how he's been understood which right, is something right, that right. Bordwell has done it's something that all critics really really do is they don't read him they just take this popular understanding and then they write against that which is basically like a naked straw man argument like to me right. but anyway um, the point of sort of uh, – t- to me, this is what I actually think is underlying Chomsky's uh, 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 critique, his misunderstanding, and I think it's productive uh, uh, in, in, in a Hegelian way, which is that all of the, these, the, the philosophers who um, are pilloried for, um, for being like charlatans or trying to get away with something, I, like they are all people who say that the truth is a process – yeah. And that, like, I mean, look at any Freud text and you will see notes that he made amending, uh, correcting, or adding to things he said before. This was a guy who's clearly constantly thinking through the things he was saying. We just talked about this with Hegel where, like, we're saying that, like, reading this book is this truth procedure that is performative of the entire point that he's trying to make. Yeah. Uh, Zizek... I- I I mean I said this to you um, uh, some years ago that like I actually think has been trying to rewrite and not in an unproductive way or or like a, a trying to get away with something way I think he's been trying to rewrite the sublime object in like altering and, and adding on to things that he didn't understand perfectly the first time yeah. I think that he's been attempting to to redo this and anyway I
1: think well that Freud so, I mean so, Freud really performs that and beyond the pleasure principle right like he he actually sure. shows us. Like yeah. oh I thought this idea wait 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 a minute this doesn't work, let's try <laughs> yeah. to think of it this way no 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 that doesn't work so let's try to think of it so, I mean I think that's a you're making such a great point and I think it's, it's just, the, the rejection is that is not
0: that um that like if Lacan said the real is this and then he never touched it again Chomsky would support him if Žižek said you know um like like uh if he, if he wrote about religion one time and it was like very critical and uh like more atheistic i think chomsky would have no no right, problem right. okay if you know if if hegel clearly said like you know like spirit is this if he laid out a step by step process this is how you get to spirit yeah. you know like i don't i think people would read him now and i think that this is this is something that is deeply ideological which is that certainty it, even if it's like wrong but you know like trump right certainty is valued over uh process
1: right well over over truth i mean that's interesting because because in some way with process being understood as truth as truth exactly exactly so so i think that you just ryan that's beautifully and it actually explicates what he's doing in the preface because (laughs) the whole phenomenology is about the struggle between certainty and truth right like Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. you start out with a certainty but then this there's a there's a there's a gap between certainty and truth constantly that keeps that, that both arises and gets yeah. and then it gets flattened and then it arises and, it, and that's what the yeah. whole movement of the phenomenology is mm-hmm. and finally the end is this is this amazing understanding that f- that the, the, the gap between certainty and truth is irreducible Mm -hmm, right? That you mm -hmm. can, you can never have certainty about truth. (laughs) Like that's, that ends up, that's the final truth, ironically. I mean, he understands that that's, that even, I mean, absolute knowing is the, is the understanding that there can really be no absolute knowing, or that the very idea of absolute knowing is contradictory. But I think, I think what you're getting at is the difference between a dialectical truth and an analytic truth, right? Like, and and, 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 and so what's amazing, and he, he has a, the end of the preface is all, or last two thirds, the last third. sorry, is all about that idea that unlike, so Kant holds up mathematics as the ideal, right? Like mathematical truth is the ideal we want to aspire to as philosophers. And Hegel doesn't do that. And I think he may be the first, I mean, Spinoza certainly does that. I think Descartes does that. I think Hegel might be the first philosopher not to do that. And that may Mm. be why, I mean, which is linked to what you were just talking about about the process notion of truth, and that may mm-hmm. be why he gets disparaged along with all these subsequent mm-hmm. thinkers, like because
0: Ford. because when we talk about mathematics as truth, don't we leave out infinity and things like pi, right? Where like 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 things that that math has yeah. like is actually uncertain about. <laughs> like, well, that's an interesting so, question because
1: yeah. it, you know there's a there's a possibility. I was talking about it with a a uh, student of mine who was who's a mathematical I don't know what to, I don't like to use the term genius, but let's say wizard <laughs> sure <laughs> who, sure sure who kind of came over to the dark side and became a a reader of hegel and and <laughs> and I tried to to Slavoj makes this argument that in the logic the science of logic, the greater logic hegel. When he comes up to a problem in differential calculus and he writes this hundred-page note on it, which is a, mm. <laughs> a crazy thing—like it's all out of whack and it's too long and it doesn't really—he uh, doesn't really get it. And and mm-hmm. Slavoj's point is that this is the this is the time at which mathematics actually is dialectical, and that's what Hegel is kind of stumbling over. But I mm. asked this woman's name Veronica Davis. I asked her. I said. Do you think that's right and she's a she's a mathematician who knows more about mathematics than Slavoj um, mm-hmm. not to discredit him he just is not a mathematician uh, right, right. and she said no she said no she said even the things that you're talking about Ryan she's like that's not yet dialectical thinking yeah that it's not that the difference is that those are points at which we see a gap within analytical truths right. but they're still not the point at which you can see and I think this is this is the idea of a dialectical truth for hegel that subject mm. goes out over into its predicate or that mm. identity is the identity of identity and non-identity that that is that that you the thing is actually involved in what it's opposed to that and i i think i think that her point was and i, I just accept that this is right that that mathematics can't it's just impossible for it to think that what one thing is, is, is actually involved in the thing that it's, it, that it's negating or it's supposed to, because that just would, that would make the mm-hmm. mathematical universe come asunder. But I don't know. Maybe that's, that, I mean, that was her no, view, but I don't know. That's really
0: interesting to me. And that, that, uh, it touches on something like I, I have a, there's a short essay that I have to write about the, uh, the ideology of the passive voice, which oh. is that, which is that, The whole point is that the scientist is not involved in the scientific experiment. And I think and I think that is just so wrong. And and it it is like and it's one of these things that perpetuates this idea that scientific knowledge is objective objective because it's it's just an observer. But, you know, and like and the idea and I, I just Obviously, it's not that, like, scientists are stupid and they don't know this, but this is clearly disavowed in a lot of scientific um, exploration and experiments like this. And I think that it has its root in the passive voice, which is that you are not a part of the thing that you're observing. Like, you are outside of it. And I think that to to have this idea that there is an outside and and an inside like that like is um it's one it's it's deeply ideological in in that it preserves a notion that like knowledge is this objective non-involved right. thing and you can totally you can totally see there's a there's a subreddit on reddit called um uh oh like like enlightened neutral or something. And it's people who don't identify as Republican or Democrat. They're the enlightened moderate or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I forget. I forget. And I think that this is part of the, the, like the, the ideology of the passive voice with this, this ideology of, of, of objectivity where like you, but by, by you not being involved, Uh, In the thing you're saying, it's like, oh, well, this police officer might have had a very good reason for shooting this unarmed black person. We need to look at it on a case by case basis. What was going on? You know, it's like you're okay. So you are this objectivity that you're claiming to have is very, very unimpressive, but it is um, even in the way in which. A lot of knowledge is uh, produced again. The STEM scientific knowledge it is it is it's it's ratified. It it is it is reinforced. There seems to be this thing where it's like the mo the more detached you can get from the thing that you're talking about, the more uh the, the higher truth value. Right, the, right, like right. Truth no, claim think, you can make. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think and that's and absolutely and right.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. Don't you think it's interesting that um, the one thing that's not under like that the one thing that gets totally forgotten is. What we decide to investigate in the first place, right? Of course, right. Like, I mean, right, I mean Of course, like, like, okay, yeah. Like, the, I think there is something obviously to the scientific method and the and the attempt to disprove other people's findings and thus come to conclusions. But, okay, but right. You're trying to disprove yourself. That's the whole. I right, think that's great. No, it's like, great. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. you're. And there's clearly that's not the same as just saying whatever comes to your mind. And it's not the same as religion. Yeah. I mean, there there clearly is something yeah. to it but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there also is a clear a clear subjective desiring position in the very thing that you decide to start working on right and yeah. it's i mean right. for one thing it's often financed by capital right well, i mean like yeah. there's yeah. a whole way in which there's a there's a real core of non-objectivity in that objectivity there's a lot of good stuff written about the um
0: Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where that about how? Well, for one, it's never been able to be reproduced. This was something that had come out a few years ago. That that, that a lot of of major um, like social experiments like that are are not reproducible. But people talk about them as though they are as though they are their truth. And yeah. with the prison experiment, one of the things I thought this was really great was that like nobody ever questioned uh the the peop- so the 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 idea that um they would get a random sampling of people that answering an ad i believe in a newspaper um or something like that 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 no one ever thought like well wouldn't like the people and i think this just turned out to be true is that like the people who came it wasn't a random sampling of people it was people who either had some uh, like connection to prison or prisoners like it in general, like it attracted those people. So it, right. it actually, yeah. it, it d- deliberately attracted a biased pool of people to see if basically you could um, uh, like basically the, the, the whole experiment was the, like the Nazi defense of the right. Holocaust. I right. was just following orders. Yeah, That was the whole thing. What and could you the, get people the,
1: to do following orders?
0: Exactly, right. exactly and and the the objectivity of the um, of that entire experiment has been called into question like quite but it's still ex- like people still cite it I know I just or, like, saw, like, I just listened
1: to a, a program on some German philosophy podcast about that you cited that exact experiment as if it was like gospel so oh, man. you That's, know but I think it's interesting. I mean, that's a fast. I, I also that would be like taking the. I'm going to sample everybody that writes in the comments section of an article.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a random sampling. Of, it's a random grouping of people from yeah, all over the yeah, world. It's yeah. like no. It's yeah. right. It's it's the same thing. It's the well, the for one thing, you're going to
1: the, yeah. the the intelligence of everyone responding to that would be very would be very not high. <laughs> Is isn't
0: uh, there an, isn't there like a there's a game that like, you, you go on like the least controversial YouTube video. You can find how many comments down until you're seeing like virulent racism and sexism and yeah, you know, misogyny like, like that's, that's uh, a, a quote, a game you can play with the internet. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, maybe we should all. Maybe that should be the great political act, eliminating. Oh, of course, that would eliminate our podcast. But that it would, would...
0: eliminate our podcast yeah. and our listeners who've been very kind when they write to us. Yeah, so that, I think that's worth yeah. that's worth yeah. pointing out. Okay. Um, so so this not, has turned we out. Yeah. God. <laughs> I was gonna say, this has turned out to be, and I think this is fun, you should make this the title. Um, this has turned out to be a preface to the preface.
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. But let's let's <laughs> to avoid that being totally true, let's let's come to the to the a couple final things. Like I think sure. that I think it's interesting that that um Hegel says you know he he says he talks about how he's going to refute every position that he encounters in the book, and mm-hmm. what he's not going to do, and this ties to what you we were saying earlier about making philosophical arguments based on first principles, is right. he's never going to just say this is my argument against, but he's going to allow that position to undermine itself, and that
0: mm-hmm. I think mm.
1: that's the real key to the Hegelian method, and I think you could even there's a way, and I've never tried to do this, but there's a way in which you could make this into a, 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 a school for debaters or something like mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. like never mm. take anything external to the position, but yeah. look internal to the position. And this was, relates to what you were saying earlier about externality as well. Um, yeah. Only look at the, only look at what's internal and see how it ends up undermining or contradicting itself and then moving on to another position. So that's a key thing that he lays out. Mm-hmm. And and then I think also that that his idea that that the 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 thing that we're going to end up going for like the 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 end point of his philosophy is not mm-hmm. to reach some beyond. I think right. to me that's absolutely crucial that yeah. that it that he's not and don't you think there's something like that Freudian about that like I think of the end of of last line of studies on hysteria when he says the I'm going to relieve hysterical misery by translating into common human unhappiness mm. and i mm. feel like that's kind of what like that that he's there's i i sort of think of it do you know this song by belinda carlisle heaven is a place on earth oh yeah, yeah. So i always think like in some way that's a very hegelian that's really really funny. song you know like, i always yeah. think like she must have read phenomenology well, and then come up with that came up with that song. so
0: would you put it this way that it's not that with hegel we're not we're we're not uh trying to get to some like greater beyond, but we're trying to get to some like deeper within.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or that the that greater beyond is the deeper within. The is the
0: deeper within. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's great. the thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah.
1: that's why he is that's why he loves, I mean, that's what he loves about Christianity, which doesn't get a lot of discussion here, although it plays a bigger part in the book itself. Mm-hmm. That Christianity takes this absolute and this 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 is a line that get recurs throughout the book that or throughout the preface that I think it recurs three times in some form that substance is subject.
0: Yeah, right, and th- right,
1: and that's a Christian idea. So, substance mm-hmm. means for him, and he takes this from history of philosophy, an independent entity that's not that has no relation to anything else. So it's it, and so God would be a substance because God can just exist in the beyond, has no dependence on earth. God creates humanity out of love, but notness, but not. Does it need humanity? Uh, mm-hmm. that's the standard understanding. And then yeah. but Hegel thinks when God becomes Christ and dies on the cross, that's a moment of for one thing, it's a moment of contradiction. But then it also reveals that this seemingly substantial authority is really just a subject like us. And, and so that idea like, yeah. I think is really the crucial thing that, that's why he repeats it so many times, that substance is subject. That... So. Mm. that the thing that seems like it's a undivided authority is actually a divided being a divided subject just like we are and that's i think tied to this heaven as a place on earth idea
0: that's phenomenal (laughs) i love that don't you think (laughs) i mean i i do yeah. yeah yeah no i think that's great yeah um I think, um, after the Belinda Carlisle uh, like as a skeleton key for understanding Hegel, which I love so much, I think um, uh, we're coming to uh, sort of the end. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about translation. You mentioned this earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah, so for a couple a couple words. So one thing you notice if you read the Miller translation, which is the orange book, it's the most common one, although there are two. Mm-hmm. so there so the first translation is the Bailey translation from nineteenth century. And that's called phenomenology of mind. That's what I read first, not because I was <laughs> alive in the nineteenth century, but because <laughs> uh, I don't know. The Miller hadn't yet. The Miller was seventy-eight, and I was reading it in ninety something, so it hadn't yet become. Yeah. Um, and my professor had read the Bailey, and he liked it, and I liked it. Um, but but I don't think you can read that. Um, so then the other two there are there's there's um, there's uh, Michael Inwood mm-hmm. wrote one so two, two okay. so one were, Michael Inwood wrote one for Oxford and then Terry Pinkert who's Hegel's biographer wrote one for Cambridge both published mm-hmm. 2018 and I think oh, wow. the Inwood one one is slightly better but they're both about okay. $100 so it's just ridiculous oh, the 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 <laughs> Miller one is 13 so, so and I have an extra <laughs> copy if someone wants to to write me an email, and oh, and,
0: someone is absolutely going to do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, uh, okay.
1: So that I would send it to them. Um, okay. So, so anyway, so so the so the one thing that Miller does is he trans. Mm-hmm. So Hegel uses this cr- term all the time "Begriff," which means uh, concept, mm-hmm. and Miller will all the time write a notion and with a capital. And here's the okay. problem.
0: Yeah, Anytime
1: yeah. you mm-hmm. see a word capitalized in a translation from German, you should be like, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> because <Okay. laughs> because every noun in German is capitalized. <laughs> so, uh, so you cannot you cannot ass- it's just a total assumption. And I, I know we just talked about the way translators getting it wrong can get it right, but yeah, I don't yeah. think this is the case. So I think oh, whenever you see notion, it turns Hegel into a mystic, I think. Like this oh, it makes
0: it like like Coleridge, right? Right, or, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. This idea of notion.
1: Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. No, it's just concept. And then the other one is is Geist, is spirit. And that's a that's a tough one because spirit, I think we think of something as kind of ghostly. Mm. Um and 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 translating spirit as as Geist as mind is not right, but it's not totally wrong. So it's although the term Heilige Geist, holy spirit, is in German Mm -hmm. and in English. So that, so there's this double thing and and like spirit of the age use the term zeitgeist like that. Right, right, right. That's a, that, so that's the kind of sense in which he means it. So I, anyway, I, I I don't, I don't necessarily have a horse in the translation game, but I I do think I wouldn't probably spend a hundred dollars to, although I did, (laughs) I bought both of them. (laughs) Well, that's that's
0: more, that's more important for you than it might be for somebody. I guess. Yeah. 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 I,
1: I would say that the, um, this is going to be a stupid thing to say. I, I think that the, <laughs> there there are rewards in the German that that I mean I learned German just to read uh, the phenomenology so that but but uh, I think there are rewards in it that are things that in other words there are things that you just won't you'll miss in English mm-hmm. but originally I mean uh, uh, not originally but I, I I typically I hate this fetishization of the original so I don't want to get into that <laughs> and I mean I think that, right 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 I think that there you can perfectly understand Hegel with even a not great translation of the phenomenology. And there's no need Mm -hmm. to think like, Oh, because I think this is actually a very Hegelian idea and which we've been talking about, that there's no special treasure in the original that I'm going to, I can if I just learn the original, I can get to right, 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 right.
0: Yeah. right, right. But that, but that is, but that's funny though, is that you, but you clearly thought that
1: I did that, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> which, no, no, which is like I'm not, I'm not saying that to like to, to criticize you, but I think that that is again like the point that um, that Hegel is making is that like I think you had to think that, like yeah. I think if you hadn't thought that, you would not have learned German. I you know, know, but that's so sad, know.
1: Ryan. You just totally, you 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 you, you you've, you've pointed out that my whole desire to read German was a very un-Hegelian, I betrayed Hegel. <laughs> no, but in learn-
0: so doing, no, 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 you're taking the, the, the negative there. But in so doing, you proved his point. And I think that that's okay, the most good. Hegelian thing that you could have done. Okay, very that,
1: good. You rescued that. it. No, I don't mind a little <laughs> 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 Okay, on this absurdly personal note, let's uh, over and out, Ryan.
0: Yeah, over now time. <laughs>